Hey, what's up? I am fired up. This is as complete. This is a five-tool podcast today. We have a bunch of things we're going to get to. Mike Vick is our guest. I'm going to talk about Andy Reid's offense, learning new offenses, and also trying to keep demanding receivers happy. I'm going to do a little bit of a college football roundup now a couple more weeks into the season. I'm still not sure what any of this is, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Game three, a little recap there. Win for your. How about your heat now, Miami? Um, and then I'm going to get to the NFL awards right off the top. So today's episode that is absolutely loaded. The Ryan Rosillo podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all pro. The real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized services so you customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action right now. You can check out the new and improved quick bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Buy so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Buy Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Buy and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. Let's get to it. The week four NFL awards. The first award is... The Can We Still Blame Jason Garrett Award. That goes to Dallas Cowboys fans everywhere because you loved beating up on him all of the time. And now, guess what? Your offense is kind of good because you're always down. And look, Dak is putting up insane numbers. Just a quick uh, shout out to one number here. Dak Prescott, by the way. uh, Now he has (laughs) 1,690 passing yards through four games the most in NFL history through four games. Uh, the second most was Kurt Warner with the 2000 Rams, where he was at 1,557 yards. So we're talking over 100 yards ahead of Kurt Warner's pace, the greatest show on turf, 20 years ago. There's a few reasons why offense is out of control. By the way, um, offense going into this past weekend, averaging just under 25 points per game, that's 16% better than just a year ago, 22% higher during the average of the previous two decades, and that is because offensive holding has been cut dramatically in half. I think the numbers are floating somewhere around 50% lower, and I guess it's a league mandate. So if you go around and research, and I know guys have mentioned it here or there, but it's absurd. We have no holding, and that means, or very few holding calls, and that means offenses are out of control. But Dak has been out of control because the team is giving up a million points. Let's review some history here. So Dallas has now allowed, after a 49-38 loss to the Browns, where the Browns actually ran it for 307 yards, worst in Dallas history. Um, I believe 
these are some of the most ridiculous Cleveland numbers because they're they're running the football. Like this isn't just Baker. They're moving Baker around. They're rolling him out. They're doing some things. They they look like I mean Baker looks like a different guy, but this isn't Baker just lighting up defenses. They have balance and they're actually using Odell Beckham Jr. Shocking development. So um, this defense, how bad is it? It's this bad. They've allowed thirty six point five points per game, which would project is the single worst scoring defense in team history. And it's almost 10 points worse than their other worst defense as far as scoring per game. Now, I imagine it would average out here a little bit, but all the goodwill after the Atlanta comeback, it doesn't really mean anything because Dallas is now one and three, a good loss to the Rams. I think we like the Rams. Um, that Falcons comeback, great. The Seahawks, like some of these games, they look close. Like it'll be misleading four weeks from now if Dallas puts together a little stretch and people will say, well, you know, they played the Seahawks to a one score game and they were close there with the Browns late. I don't know. Look, and I'm not going anti-Dak by any means, and he's putting up huge, huge numbers, but it is a defensive problem first. I mean, there should be no time spent on what's do, what's Dak doing wrong. I did that last week, but I mean, this is out of control with how bad they've been. Mike McCarthy said afterwards, we're not going to be a one-call defense and talking about Mike Nolan, the D coordinator, who I guess hasn't been a coordinator in six years. Uh, but here's the thing as a non-football guy's observation. Why wouldn't you want to make the defense a little bit simpler? They've Bench some guys in the secondary. Jalen Smith, the linebacker, is getting a lot of the criticism. The edge guys aren't doing necessarily that much. And yet, when you look at Dallas as too deep, you go, look at all this talent. Like, this team should not be one and three. And the fact is that they're still in the NFC East. Um, and I say that as if there was any debate on whether or not they could move to another division. I don't believe that'll happen. Um, you can go ahead and report that. But the point is that division is so, so bad that you're still kind of alive despite being one and three. But that defense is terrible. And I would think you would want with a new staff and a new system and a bunch of new pieces on that side of the football that you'd want to make things a little bit simpler because whatever they're doing now isn't working. Hut, hut. Okay. The Drew bled so much he needed a transfusion award. That goes to Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen. Now, Josh Allen is off to the best QB start for a Bill's QB since Drew Bledsoe in 2002, and that's why he gets the award. Um, Bledsoe in 02, um had 10 touchdowns, two picks the first four games that season. Now let's hope Josh Allen finishes out a little bit better. 14 touchdowns with 13 picks the rest of the way. Um, but at four games in, the Bills are an undefeated team, an undefeated team since 2002 divisional realignment. 44 of the 53 teams that went 4-0 to start the season made the playoffs. By the way, on the other side of Houston, Texans 0-4, the 56 teams that have started 0-4 since the 0-2 realignment, zero of those 56 teams have started 0-4 and made the playoffs. Josh Allen, I still think, is a very interesting study for one very specific reason, and that is he's been great this year and much better than who he's been in previous years. And look, if I were to say to you, hey, because there's been resistance by this from Bills fans, and I get it, Your guy got beat up on publicly. I do think some of the criticisms were fair, but he's not the same guy, yet Bills fans want people to think that he's always been this guy, and he just hasn't. Here's a blind QB resume. This quarterback played in 2019. His QB rating was behind Daniel Jones and tied with Joe Flacco. He was 24th in QBR. He was 25th in yards per attempt. He was last in completion percentage. He was 30th in yards per game. He had the fifth lowest third down passes attempted, and his average yards to stick was third worst. But... 
Guess what? Josh Allen isn't any of those things now. He's been incredible. Um, basically, any stat you look at, he's probably even higher. I mean, he's up there with Mahomes and Lamar and Aaron Rodgers with some of these guys to start this season. So he's off to a great start. And let's hope it goes a lot better for Josh Allen than it did for Drew Bledsoe much. He needed a transfusion the rest of the way. <clears throat> Award number three. This is the you can't hum with your nose being held. Did you know that, Kyle? No, but it makes sense. Does it make sense? Do you want to try it? Uh, yeah, it blows your mind. Work. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's a little known fact. Another little known fact, why you're like, wait a minute, what does this have to do with anything? It's that the Indianapolis Colts defense may be incredible. From Albert Breer, SI.com. Check out these stats right now after another win for the Colts. And we'll get to their schedule. Yes, hold on. Uh, total yards defensively first yards per play first rushing yards allowed per game fourth rushing yards per play sixth passing yards per game first passing yards per play first interception percentage first sack percentage seventh first downs game allowed first third down efficiency against first points per game first yes they lost to the jags in week one yes they limited minnesota to 11 points the jets seven and the bears 11 and by the way i'm telling you right now trubisky's getting another start with nick Foles being healthy I sent that out to a Bears fan. He said, absolutely not. I go, hey, and this Bears fan's listening to this podcast. He knows who I am. I'm not going to bring up his name for political reasons. But I'm just saying, um, even though even though the Colts defense has played this schedule, these stats have been incredible. And I just think if you were to say, hey, you know who's had a great defense uh, so far? The Colts. I don't know that a lot of people would know that. And I know some of you right now are probably in the car trying to hum holding your nose. I had some other little known facts. Did you know that roller coasters, Kyle, were invented to prevent people from partaking in sinful acts? Late 1800s, too many whorehouses, oh, sorry, brothels um, and saloons. <laughs> so a guy decided to invent roller coasters to distract people Get your from kicks sin. somewhere else. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Look, that's what they were called in the late 1800s. We'll say brothels. So let's just be, let's just be up to date on the terminology here. Um, I was researching a bunch of little-known facts, and I felt like the best one there was the, the nose deal. So there you go. Okay, two more awards. What's wrong with your Rocket Scientist Award? That goes to Matt Patricia, now in his third season with the Detroit Lions. Lions football. Patricia in his first year, 6-10. and 10, Last year, 3-12. and 12, And now 1-3. They were up 14-0 on the Saints. They gave up 35 straight points, losing to New Orleans, who, by the way, you were like, wait, are the Saints going to be 1-3? Now, they get Michael Thomas back. They're 2-2. Two and two. They've had, a, I think, a tough schedule to start the season. I don't think there's any debate about that whatsoever. You throw in Tampa, the win, Green Bay loss, uh, the loss in Las Vegas, where I thought the Raiders actually played pretty well in that game. Um, I don't know if people are off the Raiders now. A lot of drafts being saved and saying, hey, how about all that heckling of Gruden and Mike Mayock? What's up now? And then guess what? They've lost a couple games since then, but I still think the Raiders probably doing better than people thought they would when they kind of became a national punchline there for a little bit. But back to the Lions and Matt Patricia. We know that he's a rocket scientist because it's brought up every freaking broadcast. The pencil he doesn't use that's tucked into his hat. Um, shout out for all the math and being smart. But here's some bad math if you're a rocket scientist. The Lions, I'm going to read this to you twice because I couldn't believe it when I saw it. The Lions are now 7-8-1 in the last three seasons when up by 10 points. Okay? So that means since Patricia started, 2018, three-plus seasons, so not three full ones. I can't believe they've been up double digits 16 times, by the way. But they are 7-8-1 with a double-digit or more lead. 
That's impossible. Um, to compare that to something else, it's ridiculous, and no one should really compare anything to the Chiefs because it's that special. Side note, Kyle, I'd like to do this. Jealousy rankings. I think the Chiefs have to be up there in the last 20 years. How jealous you are as a fan base of the Chiefs fan base getting to watch what Mahomes is, what this offense can do, and how horrifying it is at times. I think it's right there with the Warriors. Maybe a little behind. Need more success to catch them. But it's early 2000s Lakers type stuff. And the Lakers stuff is probably right there with the Warriors too. There aren't five teams in any of the professional sports in the last 20 years that would be ahead of the jealousy that I think most NFL fans should have of Chiefs fans getting to watch this stuff. Because the Chiefs are actually, if you look at the other side of this rocket scientist stat here, the Chiefs are 7-5 and five, trailing by 10 points or more. Lions Jeez. are seven, eight, and one with those leads. Okay. And finally, I know people are desperately asking for an update to the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady power rankings coming off of where we were at. Um, you know, I kept Tom ahead of Bill, even with that Raiders win. Brady, five touchdowns. It's going to be hard for Bill to pass Tom. But if Bill can beat the Chiefs and COVID with Brian Hoyer, I don't have any choice but to put. <laughs> to put Bill ahead of Tom, but let's hold off because I don't, right now it's incomplete. We're not ready to go. Those are week four NFL awards. Going to talk with Mike Vick here in a second. Some hoops coming. Now it's time for the State Farm. Surprisingly great segment of the week. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like Odell Beckham Jr. and realizing he's on your team. I'm going to explain what that means here in a second. State Farm agents provide personal service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our surprisingly great player from last week was... Odell Beckham Jr. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, why is that surprising? That guy's awesome. Well, it's surprising when you're like surprised that he's that awesome because you realize he went an entire year with that previous regime going, why is this guy not being used more? Now he had two carries, but he had the clincher on that reverse, the 50 yard touchdown run. He had two, um, two carries total. So he actually ran it really well. Catches five for 81 yards, but the two touchdowns, the one from Jarvis Landry. Cleveland is finally using Jarvis and Odell and this running attack where they went nuts yesterday. It looks like a completely different team, essentially with a lot of the same personnel. And it's not like Baker went crazy against the Cowboys. He was 19 to 30 for 165, but you could just see with the way they were moving him out, all of it looks different. And it just, it's comical that a coaching staff could have a toy like Odell Beckham Jr. and not know how to use it. So even though I don't always love frustrated receiver, who's like so about himself, but in this case, like Odell reminding us of what he's capable of was not surprising that he's this good. It was just a surprise to think, oh, right. That's why everybody freaked out about this guy when he first entered the league outside of LSU. Want to talk a little NBA finals here. You know, Bill and I will probably figure out uh, a day this week. Either I'm going to go on his. I think I'm due to go on his. But Lakers lose game three. And I got to be honest, have any of you ever watched a playoff series before? And I know those of you that get it do not take this personally because this isn't aimed at you. But I look at, I don't know if it was the broadcast that was selling you on this idea that was back or Jimmy Butler selling you. And I'm not going to tell anybody to be less confident. Like, hey, Jimmy, you, I don't know, the Lakers may not actually be in trouble. They may have just been up 2-0. My biggest rule ever, I'll repeat it again, you cannot play 
as desperate when you were up 2-0 as when you were down 0-2. You can't fake that. You can't fake that. And if you watch the Lakers throughout this postseason, despite this group never doing anything collectively, and much like the Clippers, they seem to not take their opponents that seriously. And whether it was game one against Portland that the Lakers lost and then swept them, losing game one to Houston and actually losing it pretty single-handedly and then almost blowing a couple leads in that series because I just felt like it had more to do with where L.A. was at mentally. They beat up on Denver game one, and I think that set the tone. It's like, ah, you know, whatever. And then they gave one game back there. They go up 2-0 against a Miami team where I think they're less likely to take them seriously with no Bam and Dragic than they would have had they been full health. And even in this game, as bad as it was, they get down 13 in the first quarter. Anthony Davis fouled trouble throughout the entire night, so he wasn't very good. Jimmy Butler was incredible, 40-point. Uh, triple-double. I think the first guy to hit 40 in a finals game without making a three since Shaq like 18 years ago, I think is the number there. Jimmy was incredible. Jimmy was incredible. Jimmy was incredible. Okay, fine. But what happens is, is we then want to turn all of this stuff into something more than it is. What does this mean? Does this mean the Lakers are in trouble? I just don't see it that way. I think they smoked Miami in game four. I just think that they do. I don't think Anthony Davis is going to shrink five inches from game three into game four, and he's probably not going to have the same kind of foul trouble because it's just an oddity in the way something happened. Um, will the Lakers turn it over, what, 12 times in the first quarter again? Or was it was it 10? I don't know. Whatever it was, they were on pace for 40 at one point, um, and that's not necessarily the case. Let's look at the rebounding numbers here one more time because that's um, always pretty revealing on these matchups rebounding numbers um the lakers actually were only plus six when they've been plus 20 in some of these other games rebounding a lot of times is straight up effort so uh lebron was his standard near triple double self the rest of the way um but the team even late they went up 91 89 i'm like wait they're gonna steal this one too and it looked like they were playing terrible and then at the very end i give miami a ton of credit for fighting them off and butler finishing and lebron actually got switched him a couple times i don't think lebron defensively uh he's certainly not where he was that goes without saying but butler was not afraid of him at all and tyler hero who was terrible through most of the game had two or three big, big plays at the very end, and they were able to hold off the Lakers. So now the series is at 2-1. But then it turns into with Butler because he was responding to LeBron saying, hey, you're in trouble. I don't care that Butler you know, went back. But then you're we're all forced to kind of come up with some kind of talking point. It's like, well, what is Butler? Is Butler actually a little underrated? I mean, look, if Butler wants to go nuclear on teams and say, I don't want to be here anymore, I mean, is it the team's fault for not figuring it out? So this whole thing has turned into Philadelphia, Chicago, Minnesota. Butler is really good. Uh, I'll say it again, though. Like to we have to we have to classify like when you're tweeting out the goat speaks and it's a Jimmy Butler video, I think your goat qualifications are a little too low. And now on the other side, for Rondo, who continues to be this. I don't know what it is. It's not media creation. I don't know, but it's 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 like my my theory on the example that I use is is money. If I'm broke in my entire 20s and then I have money in my 40s and I show up to a high school or college reunion and I go, "Ah, see, you guys are wrong about me in my 20s." And they're like, "No, you actually were broke." Like if one of my friends is like, "Hey, you're broke." And then I have money 10 years later, it doesn't mean that I wasn't broke. And if Rondo, who quit on Boston, who quit on Dallas, who was completely disinterested at moments with Chicago and New Orleans, who looked unplayable at times with the Lakers, then turns into an incredible asset during the playoffs, that's real. And he cannot like play off Rondo, but, but Rondo's like oblivious to his own reality, which is so weird to me. And this quote that came out of this Jack McMullen piece that was going around yesterday when he was talking to LeBron about his body language, where 
Rondo said he confronted LeBron about his body language. LeBron has terrible body language for his teammates. He has basically his entire career. So here's the quote. Um, and Rondo's talking about LeBron's teammates. If they missed four shots in a row and LeBron was making a face, it was crushing to them. He was their Michael Jordan. They didn't want to let him down. But if LeBron said one thing positive to Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma, they immediately were back to their old selves on confronting LeBron about his body language. Okay, great story, except none of that's even remotely like applicable. First of all, LeBron is still doing that. He does it all the time. If defensive rotation, like that pistol action that Van Gundy was talking about, where the guard brings it up to a screener out on the side, and it's it's not with bigs, it's like with perimeter players, and you're kind of just you have to make a decision to follow the ball or stay with your guy. LeBron screwed up a bunch of those last night. <laughs> and then when somebody else makes a bucket, LeBron LeBron's body language didn't improve. When I read that quote, I was like, wait, Rondo, did you confront LeBron from your seat? when you decided not to sit with Luke Walton during a game last year and thought that it was the media's fault for bringing all that up. Rondo does the thing. Rondo even said when he was in Boston that he stopped playing defense the last couple seasons. Like he did it. He said it. There was another quote in the story that said, if you watched him shoot in Chicago, you would have thought he'd gone a month without making a shot. And yet in practice, he would go like eight for eight, nine for nine. If there was a hundred dollar bill on the line. So Rondo who, and again, has been incredible for this Lakers team as the playoffs have gone on. All the credit to him. But that other Rondo, the broke 20-year-old Rondo, in the analogy here, also exists. That person is also real. But then, as the Lakers are up 2-0, we're like, how can we get a Rondo story out of this? How can we turn this into something bigger? Where's our, instead of Jimmy Butler was incredible and got Miami a game, and now the series is 2-1, so let's see what happens no, is Jimmy Butler the GOAT? Is Jimmy Butler actually the guy every team would want? Is Jimmy Butler? Like, Jimmy Butler's a lot of great things, but there's also a ceiling on Jimmy Butler. What do the kids say, Kyle? No cap? I've been told. You were late on that. That's all right, buddy. It's Monday. Um, but, you know, I think there's a cap there. I think there is. And so Rondo, who gives this absurd quote that isn't even accurate. And then, of course, what happens at the end of game three? 0.7 seconds left. LeBron decides to go into the locker room. What happened to the body language thing? And Rondo, for the longest time, has been difficult. Um, I remember talking to people when he's coming out of the draft and out of Kentucky. They were like, you know, he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, wait, what? Like, I haven't heard, I'll hear wingspan, I'll hear bad athlete, bad body, I'll hear really good shooter when it matters. It was like Rondo out of Kentucky. Eh. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I I find myself like on these islands alone, consuming all of this going, why, why is everybody falling for all of this stuff? The day the quote comes out, LeBron leaves the court. And he does that not because he's a terrible guy, because he isn't. LeBron's not a bad guy. He's just not. But he's extremely theatrical. So that is LeBron letting the stage, you know, as he exits the stage, letting the audience know that I am distancing myself from these people, like he's done so many times in his career. So the body language thing was never corrected because it's always existed and Rondo had nothing to do with it. But then it turns into this great quote because we're like, how can we figure out a cool storyline when LA's up 2 0? We're like, let's start making up a ton of shit. And this is coming from Rondo, by the way, but it's just so predictable on playing the results and trying to find more and more stories to tell, fiction or nonfiction, when <laughs> hours after I read the quote, I'm like, oh, there goes LeBron. And none of this matters. None of this matters. It doesn't matter that LeBron left. 
And I have a bigger Lakers thing that I'm going to do that's very pro Lakers that speaks to how all of these little things along the way generally never really matter because I think the Lakers win a game four and, you know, we shall see. Okay, get to Vic right after this. But this season, we know, is going to look a little different. Many fans won't be watching in the stadium or bars, but from home. If you're a cord cutter or don't have some special sports package, that means resorting to streaming football through some sketchy, illegal streaming site. Fortunately, Miller Lite had an idea on how to bring the game to everyone. So get this, during week one, Miller Lite actually trolled fans. looking for illegal streams to watch Sunday night's game by creating a bunch of streaming lookalike sites that fooled people into thinking they were actually watching the game. These fake sites turned out to be an insane ad for something called the Miller Lite Cantenna. It's a real can of Miller Lite with a digital TV antenna so people can watch football with their friends. This easy to use digital TV antenna does more than bring fans the game. It creates more time for Miller time because when you aren't focused on finding illegal streams or worrying about your bank account being hacked, you can just be your with friends. There you go, the Miller Lite Cantenna. Stop clicking around and start watching football with friends because when it's game time, it's Miller time. If you want to try to grab one of these for yourself, go to MillerLightCantenna.com to enter for your chance to win high-definition football on a beer. No purchase necessary starts September 11, 2020, ends October 12, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. Central Time. Must be legal resident of the 50 U.S. states in D.C., 21 years of age or older. Cantenas are only available to residents of Colorado, D.C., Florida, Idaho, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nebraska, Nevada, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, and South Dakota, and Wisconsin. Void where prohibited. See official rules at MillerLightCantenna.com for entry, introductions, prizes, restrictions, etc. Okay, thrilled to have Mike Vick with us again here, Fox Sports, uh, longtime NFL quarterback. So I want to talk to you a little bit about systems because those of us at the outside, we probably don't understand it even close to as well as we should. Um, you play in different systems when there's a new offensive coordinator, especially when you went to Philadelphia and Andy Reid and his system. We see Brady doing some different things. We see it with all these younger quarterbacks, especially when there's there's turnover. So how hard yeah. is it, if you can think back to some times where you had different coordinators, different systems, and trying to learn not just the terminology, but what kind of offense you were running? Yeah, well, I learned about, I'd say, maybe six different systems from Chip Kelly to Dan Reeves to the West Coast system. And then I got with Andy and had to learn his system. And uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers system overall has been built over the last 15 years since Ben has been there. Uh, it's, it's a tough challenge. And you you have to um, almost, you know, put yourself to sleep at night thinking about, you know, one play or maybe three plays, or the breakdown, the the, the whole, um, the, all the intricacies in the whole entire play, um, from uh, calling the play to the last man that, that that's in the route combination, the check down. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, it, it was always funny when I was going through those phases and having to learn a new offense. Like, my, my level of focus would just be so intense and on another level that, you know, I could be riding in the car with my kids and, and I'm thinking about, um, you know, two jet, why go? Or, you know, uh, you know, a 33 wham, you know, is it left side, right side? Is it, you know, because I know I'm going to have to execute it uh, and, and practice the next day. And in the NFL, when you learn a new system, you know, you install it one day and you go out and practice it the next. So either you're going to know it or you're going to get embarrassed. Um, but it's, it's a challenge to the brain, man, and it, it takes about a, a good two months to really be able to feel comfortable and go out and execute it. And then I, I think, you know, I would say most quarterbacks agree versus live action, at least 
four to six months before you can go out there and feel comfortable doing it and like situational football, run no huddle and, you know, run a two-minute drill. So it, it takes some time. It takes some time. What are the specifics of it? Like, I understand, like, it's probably easy to understand the primary, but then does all of that change when you look at the safeties and then you guys are all trying to communicate this stuff? Like, we can think, watching right. at home, like, why do they get so much time in between plays? But the amount yeah. of stuff that you're trying to decipher is actually ridiculous in that short amount right. of time. Yeah, yeah. well, you're trying to absorb a lot of information in a short period of time, and at the same time, you got to keep your eyes on the play clock and make sure you don't get a delay of game. And then you got to watch the personnel coming in and out because – you know, one play may have, you know, a personnel grouping of three wide receivers and one back. And then and there might be another personnel grouping of four receivers and one back. And and now you got to know who's coming in, who's going out, where they got to line up, how they got to line up. Uh, so it, it's even bigger than just calling the play and, and knowing it in your, in your mind. You also got to get to the line of scrimmage and make sure that everybody lines up correctly we used to call it first wide vision in the west coast system your first wide vision is everybody lined up correctly um and, and that was just one critical thing because of you know if you got, uh, got a two by two set two receivers over here two receivers over there and you got uh, three guys lined up over this way you got to redirect now the clock is ticking so that's where you know you have to be really uh you know just real detailed in uh and and you know, alignments and, you know, spacing and, and everybody has to understand. So, honestly, it's not just the quarterback having to understand what needs to be done within the framework of the offense. It's the receivers, the running backs. Is the, receiver, the, the running back might be flexed. Receiver might be flexed. Splits. You, you know, I mean, the quarterback position, it was so fun, um, I would say, because it was challenging. And, you know, even in college, you know, before I learned how to play quarterback, <laughs> I used to just sit in the film room and just look at the screen. I mean, and coach talking about defenses and, you know, blitzes. And, and I don't even really know the plays. I'm trying to learn the plays. So, you know, when I think back to, you know, um, how I grew in terms of the quarterback position, like overall, it, it gives me a, a great deal of confidence that God blessed me with a little bit of common sense, right? And some football knowledge um, to, to be able to process, man. And, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that because without that, I, I wouldn't have been able to go on the field and, and execute. So think about all the talent that I have, not being able to mentally put it together, then, I, then you know, it's, it's, it's probably a, a position change. Now, I was ready to change my position, not because of a coach, because I was discouraged. You know, At Virginia um, Tech? At Virginia Tech, yeah, man. When I got there, Ryan, it was just it was, it was tough, man. It was hard, man. Um, you know, in high school, we didn't go through X's and O's in detail. We didn't, you know, we didn't shopping, you know, the mind football, you know, football wise, and, and, and from a, a you know a competence standpoint, learning the game. My coach was a running back uh, growing up, you know, so and he played in the National Football League. His name was Tommy Raymond. But he didn't know how to coach the position. He knew enough. Um, so when I got to Tech, I was just behind. And it took about, got there in August. It clicked for me in December. So it took like three and a half months um, to learn defenses first. I did it backwards. I learned defenses first. And then I learned the offense um, that spring. And then I had to compete for a job. So thank God that everything kind of clicked 
uh, within like seven or eight months. So how close were you, though? What were you going to do? Be just like a, a rock Ishmael type? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I could catch. Like my hands were superb. I could catch the rock. I could run it. Um, yeah, I think you could run it all right. You know, I don't think I was tough enough to play defense. <laughs> but, you know, whatever coach would have instructed me to do. But it, it was in my heart to play quarterback. Man. Other than that, it would have never clicked that day. Yeah, that makes sense. So you yep. – You've talked about this before, and I think it's very honest and revealing. Like, as you just mentioned with Virginia Tech, you're probably just watching it being like, hey, coach, just give me the ball. Like, we're going to be fine. Right. And then yeah. Atlanta, like, it's just not going to work that way in the NFL. But then you get to Andy Reid. You have the second part of your career. Can, can you help us understand what the Andy Reid system is and what Thanks. what it evolves into and maybe how it fit you better later on? And it clearly looks like as you matured, you were more accepting of trying to learn something like this. Yeah, I can I can honestly say this. Um, when I first got uh, to end in 2009, um, the offense had changed dramatically from what I was accustomed to when I learned the West Coast system. And these same coaches um, that I had in between 2004-2006 worked up on the Marty Morningwig, who was a, a good friend of Andy's and happened to be my coach in, in uh, Philadelphia when I got there. So uh, that that version of the West Coast system was different. Like Andy had expanded the whole system into, I think, what he had created as far as his own concepts and what he thought could beat defenses uh, that was being, um, you know, put in front of his offenses at the time. And it, it, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't until about, you know, maybe you know a month after I got there where I I had to step back and step away from him and say, okay, this is not the same West Coast system that I had in Atlanta. This is something totally different. The protection calls is different. The route concepts is different. And, and and I will say this. So, you know, to break it down, this talent that Andy possessed on his team, the speed, um, you know, the versatility in Brian Westbrook and, and Deshaun Jackson, and uh, they just drafted Jeremy Macklin, uh, that – um, made his offenses different. So now, you know, it, it's not the, the quick slants and the quick outs and, you know, the quick short passing game that the West Coast system consists of. Now we got deep shots and more vertical passing game. And, and that was the start of the evolution right there. And it was based on, you know, the quarterback and the talent that he had. So we watched the Mahomes-Lamar showdown from last week. We got the Chiefs again here. It's not just the times that Mahomes hits Hill, and it's a really good segue into what you were talking about, faster guys in space, expanding right. kind of what you can do in this this concept. But when you're watching Mahomes, what do you see that maybe some of us don't see because it seems almost unfair now at this point? All right, so what I see is this. And it's because Patrick Mahomes is on his way to greatness. Like, we'll be considering him as one of the greatest of all time when it's all said and done. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, as long as Andy want to coach, you know, Patrick will be a success story. And even after Andy, somebody will come in and, and, and by that time, Patrick will, he'll, he'll be able to go out and call the game on his own. He'll learn so much from Andy because I know how much I've learned from Andy, uh, just in a short period of time. But, but this is what makes Patrick Mahomes so special. Aside from all the attributes that he has, all the intangibles and things that he does great. Patrick sees the field better than anyone 
who's playing a position right now. And and listen, I have a great deal of admiration for quarterbacks all across the league, but um, you know, I, I have to call it like I see it. I know um, you know, what make what it takes to make a great passer. I've had coaches in my career, you know, and I think every quarterback in the National Football League right now has great vision. Um, but but some just see it a little quicker and can anticipate it a little uh, quicker than others. And, uh, and and it's more so because of, uh, you know, the play calls and the concepts that, that you're running. Um, you know, all offenses are different, but Patrick sees things happening before it even happens, and his anticipation is amazing. And that's what sets him apart. Um, and then the fact that he has a strong arm to get the ball anywhere, I mean – just imagine being a defensive guy and you got a ball being thrown on a rope that you don't see every day. You might sit in practice sometimes, depending on the arm strength of your quarterback. Um, but you don't see this every day. Now you got a guy come out there throwing a fastball and you can't track it. The ball's hitting the receiver before you even get a chance. And at that time, you know, now, now, you know, you're getting discouraged and, and, Man, I just think his vision and his arm strength, um, you know, which all ties together, uh, makes him a great quarterback. But his ability to see things before it happens is uncanny. So on the other side of that game, and, you know, it ended up being a closer score than it felt because I felt like Kansas City was in complete control. Uh, Lamar Ravens bounce back. We know how dynamic he's been. But how how concerned are you with Baltimore's, like, long-term prospects against other teams where – do you buy into the idea that if you can get up on him, which very few teams can, that Lamar in this offense is somehow limited and be able to come back? Where are you with that? Yeah, well, what, what I was going to say is that it, that's just not going to happen too often. Uh, they played against the best offense league, probably one of the best offenses uh, in NFL history. Um, so, of course, it was going to be a shootout. Somebody had to be on top. Somebody had to come out on top. and Somebody was going to trail. Um I just don't think the Baltimore Ravens are going to be down, um, you know, almost, you know, in 80% of the games that they're going to be playing. I, I mean, I, I look at their schedule and they, they have some challenges and ultimately, the, you know, the AFC North is where they have to focus um, and have their, you know, unless they're playing against the Steelers or the Green Bay Packers or a, a team that um, can go tick for tap. I don't see the Baltimore Ravens being down at all. I, I see them playing ball control. I see them. I've been, you know, um, the X factor, like always, with the three-headed monster in the backfield and Edwards and Dobbins and, you know, Ingram. You know, so – and a neutralizing uh, passing game. So they're just very talented, man. And, and, you know, they have a good coaching staff, which is, uh, you know, what's part. They and Lamar and what they can do with them. How important is that? I think we're seeing more of it now. But did you have times where you felt like, a staff was trying to turn you into quarterback that you weren't really like, whereas Lamar, everything is tailored to them. Did you have moments where you go, why are you guys um, asking me to do this stuff? Yeah. When I was, when I was young in the West coast system, uh, when I was in Atlanta, uh, you know, 2004 and look, I don't discredit, you know, Rich McKay, our general manager at the time. I, I know he had my best interest at heart and he was trying, maybe trying to turn me into a better passer or whatever, but I just finished up with Dan Reeves. And then it coached John Elway, and, and we had just went to Green Bay and, and, and beat Green Bay the year before. Uh, and I got hurt, you know, the following season, and then Dan was fired. But, you know, I don't, you know, discredit any decision that was ever made. I, uh, 
you know, I would hope that it was in the best interest of the team. But, you know, in that West Coast system, I, I instantly transformed my mind into becoming um, a passer. And, you know, I looked at what Andy was doing with Donovan, um, you know, from afar. And I'm like, man, Donovan, is, he's throwing a rock around. He's like, he's having fun out there. He's, I mean, he's really throwing a pill. And, 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 you know, I wanted that too. So I was striving for that. And that's where the game was. And, and, and to my coach's credit, you know, Greg Knapp and, and Jim Moore, uh, in 2009, they was like, all right, the hell with this. In 2006, I'm sorry. The hell with this. You know, they went in, spent some time with some college teams, and we had a different offense. And, and, and now we zone reading, and we got the Wildcat. In 2006, myself and Ward Dunn, I think we both rushed for 1,000 yards. So I give my coaches credit for realizing, okay, we can do this with Michael. We can make him a better passer. But also, let's take advantage of his skill set in year five and year six, but while he's still young and he's still got some tread left. So, um, yeah, yeah. But the game the game has come a long way, man. And like I said, if, if I was playing in today's time, things would be different, you know. But it wasn't, it wasn't my time. This is not my era. And, and I respected my – I respected going through that process and the growth and, and you know, open doors. I want to talk Cleveland here because it's actually positive. We spent a lot of time talking about Cleveland last year in the lead-up, yeah, and then it ends up being, yeah. you know, super disappointing. But uh, it isn't just Baker uh, because it's really about this rushing attack. And right. what we saw against Dallas, huge numbers, and specifically tailoring more stuff for Odell. So yeah. how – it almost just seems like – like, Look, there's a lot of different debates you could have about Odell, but if you get him to have him on your team, why not try to find a way to use him a little bit more? Absolutely. And what they what they did last year is is criminal. And yet yeah. when you look at what, what Stefanski and this team, like they're slowly designing more and more stuff for him. He puts the yeah. game away and you're reminded, like, oh, that's right. That's why this guy's like this awesome and that big of a deal. How frustrating do you think it is for players like Odell or, or guys in general that are just like, okay, look, I I'm not saying I'm perfect, but like, why did you even bother trading for me if you're not going to open me up like this? Yeah. You know, I gave a lot of credit to Odell this morning on one of our shows on FS1. Um, because throughout all of this, you know, I never heard Odell complain one time. I never heard him, um, you know. Well, this year. Snap it. Well, maybe, yeah, this year. La- last year, I <laughs> Last year, maybe. So I, I just can't recollect that far. Um, but even still, I, I don't remember outcry. You know, I remember – you know, more so Odell, just the, um, the competitor in him coming out and, you know, wanting the ball and wanting to be a difference maker. It's, it's a big difference, you know. It's, it's a difference in standing up and saying, oh, man, throw me the ball, I'm open, you know, I'm doing my part, you know. You know, they're talking about trading them and, you know, I'm going to be a Brown as long as the Browns want me. You know, that's the attitude that you have to have. And, and when you possess that attitude, you have that patience, then all of a sudden people start to take notice. I, I read something uh, early in the season where Baker Mayfield was saying that, you know, he was, you know, trying to just play through the system. And, you know, Baker's learning a new system, uh, you know, I, I think as well, you know, some different concepts, different plays, different looks. And, and he's just trying to get comfortable. You know, we'll find ways to get Odell, Odell the ball. And, you know, I understand why Baker was saying that because he's not trying to force it. He's trying to learn himself. I think Odell understands that, you know, we, we're building something. We're all trying to learn together. Um, that's the only way we're going to have some success. And look, week three, week four, 
starting to turn things around, starting to find ways to get Odell the ball. And it's all because of it's positive energy. And, and yes, you know, we, we look at Baker and say, okay, Baker, you have, haven't been doing what you're supposed to do. But it's a long season, man. It's a long season. And my frustration with the Browns was always just not taking advantage of the talent that they put around Baker Mayfield. Two good backs, two good receivers, two good defensive pieces starting to come together. And the team is playing with confidence. I think Baker brings the confidence. Odell brings the confidence. Landry brings the confidence. Now let's just put it all together. So, so now the onus is on the coaching, and the coaching is coming around as well. Has there been a player or a team that surprised you? Maybe somebody you you thought a lot of and it hasn't worked out or somebody you maybe you'd overlooked. Has there been somebody that jumps out to you to be like, man, this really surprises me a quarter way into the season? Um, you know, it's – I would say the, I would say the, the Patriots um, with Cam. Um, you know, not to take anything away from Cam. I, I know Cam abilities. Um, you know, it was just a matter of you know how Cam would adapt. You know, just to a lot of lot of things. I mean, new team, new teammates, new offense, and man, they just look good. And Cam looked like the Cam of old. Cam looked like he was having fun. Um, and but outside of that, he's been a professional. You know, he he's. Uh, you know, keeping the chains moving. He's winning games. Um, and, and we know they're not going to be perfect, but he's superseded our expectations at, uh, up until this point. So, you know, we always know New England Patriots to compete. People probably thought it was going to be a drop-off or they was going to have to, you know, you know, test the waters a little bit and, 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 and tread lightly until things started to click for them. No, they came out smoking. And uh, so, so they've been the, the biggest surprise for me, but I don't know why they're the biggest surprise when they have Bill Belichick. And I've been saying it all, you know, all offseason, you know, they got Josh McDaniels who coached Tim Tebow. So I could see what was coming with Cam. And, but it's, it's, it's the modern 2020, you know, uh, version of, of McDaniels and probably what he's seen over the last you know, five years as the evolution of, of the quarterback position has changed. Now he has that guy, you know, Tim Tebow times 20. No disrespect, but, you know, it is what it is. Off the Odell thing, I, I do think that this is something that's always kind of one of my favorites when you guys can tell us stories. Or, But receivers are, um, I don't know if selfish is the right word, maybe single-minded. I mean, it would suck. It would suck to run 80 routes a game and get like two throws your way. I, I, don't, I, yeah, I am yeah. sympathetic to that. But I You're also right. think that there's some receivers that would rather get 10 balls for 100-plus yards and lose and be like, all right, I'm good. So give yeah. me um, – is there somebody that you had – that was that was <laughs> I don't know how, how deep you're going to go in this, but is there a guy you played with you were like, come on, man, like where it was it yeah. was a challenge to keep the guy happy all the time? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, I, I think we do podcasts and we have these type of talks. Just good. To, we we not earn guys out, but we having some fun with it, and 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 I I've learned to appreciate that side, that competitive side of the receiver before I talk about who this guy was. And he's he's one of my favorites. He know it, too. And we, we had conversations about this, so he'll hear this, and he's not going to care because, you know, it's just how he was. But thank God I had another receiver who was, you know, um, you know, just uh, – I won't say just team-oriented and about winning because I know that 
my man Jeremy Macklin was coming from a good place when he had his little tantrums. But Deshaun was always like that bright spot. You know, he could have, you know, two catches for, you know, 38 yards in the win. And he like, yo, yeah, you, bro, just, just look out for me next week. But, I, but sometimes I – Macklin, on the other hand, he don't go too many games without feeding my man J-Mac because J-Mac going to get on. J-Mac going to get on. You're like, bro, I need the ball, bro. I need the ball. And – you know, he, he he wasn't selfish to a point where, you know, if, if we lost and he had 10 catches, that he was happy. It was just that if we lost and J-Mac ain't getting no attempts, oh, you're going to hear it because he like, look, I could be a difference maker. You know, I, I know what I can do when I when I get the ball in my hand. So I felt more of the responsibility on myself. I felt pressure to get the ball to Jeremy. Um, he, he, like I say, don't go, you know, more than two games without giving him at least six to eight targets. And that's just because he demanded the ball. But it was more sort of competitive in him. So I, I worried about more of J-Mac. Deshaun, I was like, okay, Deshaun, if I just hit him on one bomb, if I hit him on one bomb, he cool. You know what I'm saying? Then I could focus on Jeremy. So that, that was the cool part about playing with young receivers and helping develop those guys because it wasn't just on the field development. It was off the field as well. And just so, so how would he bug you about it? Like, I still have a like, he's a young guy, oh, you're this legend. Oh, Jeremy will bring and, you the stat sheet, Jeremy will bring <laughs> you the stat sheet. Like, and and Jeremy was real smart, he was a real smart player. And he, he'll come and he, step in the film room for a minute. Yeah, look, bro, I mean, that's that's this considered open right here, you know what I'm saying? So, so what I'm saying is, you know, uh, you know, clouded coverage or. You know, it's a little iffy. It's not iffy to him, so I had to let J Mac. I had to let him have it, and I think I did pretty well. Um, you know, in satisfying his hunger for the football. That's good. I like. I love that stuff. That's my favorite yeah. stuff. That's Mike Vick. You can follow him at Michael Vick, and uh, he'll be joining us uh, occasionally throughout the season, man. So I really no appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks for having. Me. I'm going to get some college football stuff out, but first, FanDuel, because i got to tell you about my new favorite bet concept this season. I've been playing the same game parlays on FanDuel Sportsbook, and it's the most fun I've ever had betting. I've got a couple picks for you on the Monday Nighter with the Pats and Chiefs. They're pretty simple. All you have to do is combine multiple bets from one game into a single parlay. This way, the payouts are even bigger when you win. What's cool, too, is FanDuel will refund the first same game parlay you lose on any NFL game each week up to $10. That means you can bet a different parlay risk-free every NFL all season long. Again, just so you understand this, you can play a $10 parlay with odds to win more. And if you lose, it doesn't cost you anything. Why would you not do this? Okay, so looking at the picks here, same game parlay. I've got the Chiefs. I don't know how you bet the Pats in this one. Um, minus 10 and a half. And I did that including a James White touchdown and then also the under on Brian Hoyer's touchdown total. So I think if the Pats are going to score, um, it's probably be some goal line thing. I don't think Hoyer's going to air it out, although they may ask him to throw a lot. So I wouldn't do yards, but I would do the under one and a half touchdowns. So under one and a half touchdowns for Hoyer. Um, the Kansas City part of this, but throw those three together for your same game parlay. And again... If you bet $10 and you lose, you don't lose anything. Like my picks, go ahead and bet them. And with your first NFL same game parlay of the week, you'll get 10 bucks back if you don't win. Now, there's one catch 
FanDuel is the only sports book that has the same game parlay. So if you don't already have a FanDuel account, just use the promo code Ryan when you sign up so they know that I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, or Iowa. Refund issued is non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund $10. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. In Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Before life advice, a little college football here, just some rapid fire. I don't know if we're going to call it a title for this. No huddle. Um, No, I'm not going to do that. But a few things here. Eight ranked teams lost this week. Um, So that's... Eight ranked teams that lost, six lost versus unranked teams, not records because the record is 10 ranked teams losing in a weekend and eight unranked losses uh, in a different weekend. Let's start with the Big 12. Oklahoma, this is such a crazy number. So they lose to Iowa State at Lames is how the Iowa fans call it. I don't think that's fair to Cyclones fans in Ames, Iowa, but that's what the kids say. Um, first time that Oklahoma lost there since 1960. First back-to-back losses for Oklahoma since 1999. That's insane. Okay, so we have the Red River rivalry um, renamed years ago with a Texas team that should have two Big 12 losses, but they came back against Texas Tech and lost to TCU again. They keep losing to TCU this past decade. It's it's crazy. I would also add Tom Herman to my list of coaches that the college football public roots against the most. Um, Jim Harbaugh is the captain, forever captain. He's a fifth-year guy. They let him come back and hang out. Herman's on that team. Chip Kelly would be on that team. I think Brian Kelly is on that team. I don't know who the fifth guy is. The college football coaches that the college football community roots against the most. It's definitely Harbaugh one. I think Herman's there, Chip. Um, Yeah, and Brian Kelly. But that might have more to do with Notre Dame and Notre Dame's um, bad performances in the playoffs. But... You know, Notre Dame should never apologize for having great seasons and getting the college football playoff because other big programs get smoked and they actually don't get as much heat as Notre Dame does. So, again, looking at the Big 12, Oklahoma State's in first place at 3-0. Um, now, remember, they started the season where Big 12 looked like a mess because they were losing to these Sunbelt teams. And then the Tulsa game where you're like, wait, Oklahoma State barely beat Tulsa. Well, Tulsa is actually pretty good if you watch Tulsa this past week. So Oklahoma State's 3-0 there. I don't know. what I mean, Oklahoma can't run the football. That's a little weird. The defensive tackling is a huge problem. That kid, uh, Brees Hall, the running back for Iowa State, that big run that he had that was sort of a delay. There's about five or six different guys from Oklahoma that all missed him. So some of the tackling issues uh, are part of the problem there. And Spencer Rattler, who you know, I know everybody wants to beat up on after the QB1 thing, because I went back and watched some episodes after we talked about it with Danny Cannell. He's incredibly unlikable in the show. But you know what? As I get older, I'm not going to beat up on a kid in his teenage years for being a little punkish. The irony of Cannell saying that is there's a lot of things that Spencer Rattler does in that show that reminds me of working with Cannell. Um, so there you go. 
there you go. But I'm also not like going to say, hey, Spencer Rattler was awesome to all of his teammates. But I don't think he's necessarily the problem there. He did throw that pick late. He didn't seem to have seen the uh, secondary well enough. He th- I think he thought he had one-on-one on on that post route. Um, and he definitely didn't because it was a pick. But there are more problems than just Spencer Rattler there. And on top of it, with Tom Herman in Texas, I swear if they didn't have Sam Ellinger, I think that they would go four and eight. All right. So speaking of rankings, Oklahoma State goes from 17 to 7. Tennessee goes from 21 to 14 after beating Missouri. I mean, that seems kind of stupid. And then you have BYU, who's probably good. Um, BYU jumps seven spots as well from 22 to 15. Real quick on BYU, um, destroying Navy, the Army game postponed, Troy, whatever, Louisiana Tech. Um, But they did add that Boise State game. And they've got Houston in there as well. Oh, San Diego State is the other one. So um, they know we know they're independent. UConn also in that independent group with UMass, just in case you want to keep up. The independent standings, BYU, Liberty, Army, New Mexico State, UConn, UMass. Some of those teams not playing. Um, I have no issue with any of these teams jumping up. I mean, the Tennessee thing seems stupid. But then again, when you have eight ranked teams lose, like what are you going to do? And as I remind everyone that gets mad about the rankings, do your own. I had to do it a couple times, a couple years for ESPN.com. And I sit there and watch everything. I was traveling all the time, thought I was totally on top of it. You start ranking teams. And when you get to like 13, 14, 15, you start running out of stuff and you start coming up with an order that probably nobody else would agree with. So there you go. I have no problem. The big 10 teams are back in this. Like I said, Ohio state staying at six, uh, Penn state moves up one. Um, not a big deal at all for any of these. I'm not going to get worked up about any of this stuff. Speaking of rankings, UCF did issue a statement saying they still had themselves in the playoff despite their loss to Tulsa. Um, One other thing that I wanted to bring up are two other things. Will Muschamp, head coach of South Carolina, I was going through it and I was probably a little harsher than I thought because he did have that win against the top-ranked Georgia team, but there haven't been a lot of wins in the five years he's been in South Carolina. And what they didn't do as far as their own sense of urgency at the end of that Florida game, was awful. I don't know how many of you watched it. I imagine it's a small segment of the audience here. But South Carolina down a couple scores. And they just took forever. They were down 38-17. I'm going to go ahead and look at this, how long that drive took. They got a touchdown that made it 38-24. South Carolina takes over at its own 22 with eight minutes to go. This drive took seven minutes, and on fourth and goal to four, uh, they didn't score. So I'm double-checking this thing again. Yeah, over seven minutes. It was brutal. And there was a tweet, John Middlecoff, who I know does some radio and, and does some podcasting with Colin Cowherd. He had a great, great tweet. It was, it was perfect because he said, hey, I know a lot of football people that rave about Will Muschamp, love being around him, on and on and on. I first met Muschamp in 2008. He's incredible. I've met him in person a bunch of different times. You want to run through a wall for the freaking guy. You're all in, all in. And for whatever reason, all the football people that love him, the energy that he has, his teams just are so underwhelming. And it keeps happening. And South Carolina is, you know, they're not going to do anything this year. They're already 0-2. And, you know, looking back at, at at that game, I just, you're at home going, why are you the only people who have no sense of urgency and you're actually on the field? Clemson, we know, is going to be terrific with all the weapons. Bama and Mac Jones, this thing looks real beyond Devontae Smith and Waddle. Everybody loves Waddle. Devontae's overlooked because there was 
Judy and Ruggs there. Devontae Smith's always open all the time, but Mechie, this John Mechie kid, a couple big scores for them. And my new favorite guy, and I'm going to have to pay more attention to him, but that is DeMarvin Leal, five-star to Converse, Texas for A&M. He's number eight who had the interception. He's just built different. As the kids like to say, he's just different that way. So I'm going to be paying more attention to him. So there you go. Oh, yeah, Cincinnati's good too. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season? Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what, because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice cold reward, rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Okay, a couple of life advices here. Hit us up, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. I have a big surprise for you life advice fans. We're going to have a real live professional advice person uh, joining us who's pretty famous in his field. And I reached out and said, hey, I do this thing. And he was like, I'm in. Because at first I thought he was definitely out. Okay, uh, I'm not going to use any names on this one at all. Ryan, I have a very bad situation with like your advice. I will only change the names. I'm a 25-year-old male living on Long Island. And for the past two years, I've been involved with a 39-year-old married woman known named Jennifer. Okay. Two kids, ages seven and three. She married her college sweetheart. 
And on social media, they present themselves as an extremely happy, rich couple living on the island. Uh, wow, that never happens on Instagram. Since I've known her, she's told me her and her husband, well, just he has made up a bunch of names here. This guy's a real, this is like cousin Greg. When they are not, in fact, receipts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> top secret. Um, okay. Since I've known her, she's told me, her and her husband, we'll just maybe, we'll just say husband, because I don't even trust your fake names, have been having issues and that a divorce was coming. It never came. Here's where it gets complicated. All right. Now it gets complicated. On my birthday weekend in late August, Matthew found some of my clothing at their house and after some deeper snooping, went on to obtain our long chain of text messages. Okay. So she's married and cheating on her husband with you, and she's not smart enough to delete her text messages. Smart. Furthermore, um, he's since reached out to my siblings on social media. Oh, no. Okay, that sucks. Telling them we met on a dating site um, called Seeking Arrangement, which is true. Since I failed out of college a number of years ago, I've become increasingly scared of my lack of career success. Anyway, he reached out and due to anger and just wanted to blow up my life since his marriage is now about to be over. I presented myself as being this single the past few years. So obviously this has become a big deal. Oh, so you were telling girls that you were with, that you were single. Meanwhile, you were uh, sleeping with a married woman whose marriage is now over. Jennifer now tells me the marriage is all caps, definitely over. And that she wants me to move into their house since he is now moving into their second home. I want to, but also have numerous concerns. Do you? Do you? Seems like a good way to get killed, dude. Right. Um, is she now just moving forward with us because Matthew is gone? A big reason, not proud to admit this, I'm considering the move is... Be all right, the big reason, and it's uh, parentheses here, parenthetical, I don't... All right. Um, not proud to admit this. I am considering the move, the reason is, because of the financial security. Even with Matthew, the husband, out of the picture, Jennifer is very successful in real estate. I would imagine she makes between 500K to 1 million annually. And despite working hard, I'm only making about 40,000 annually in my retail job. Nothing to write home about, especially on Long Island. I've never met her kids. What? Or any of her other friends. It's a huge risk. And I feel if I say no, my time with her may not last. Uh, hmm. Not to mention if I say yes, my family is now in on my secret and will undoubtedly continue to judge me. Uh, any honest advice will be appreciated. All right. You want some honest advice here, buddy? You kind of suck. <laughs> like, thanks for the download, but like, fuck you, man. Seriously. I'm not saying, look, it happens. People that are married end up being outside of the marriage, but you have taken zero responsibility in all of this. So your main concerns were that other girls that thought you were single have found out. Your other concern is that your family knows that you're a home wrecker. Um, you've never met her kids, so you're not remotely thinking about your kids. And the most fucked up part about this is that you're thinking of moving in with her, where you're then going to be part of the kid's life because you don't make enough money. So... You put it that way. I, you know, it, not once has this been about her or caring about her. Not once has this been like, I, I like her kids. Not my guess is this, is that she's kind of attractive for you. And maybe you're in shape or she just likes younger dudes. And 
I, you know, there's not really any advice in, in this unless, unless like, here's what's going to happen, man. You're going to look in the mirror after this and you will feel bad about it. So I'm not acting like I was the most um, mature person at 25 at all. I don't know that I would have done this. I don't think I would have because I, I really care about kids. And the fact that you, I mean, look, she has to keep you hidden from the entire family because it's an affair and that's, that's fine. But, you know, these kids are really young. And if the only reason you're moving in is because she makes money, then just stop even thinking about it. Okay. Now, if you're in love with her and you think it's going to work out long term, but you didn't mention any of that stuff, it's, it doesn't come up in, in the email at all. It's only about how much she makes and how much you don't make. And you didn't care about the husband's feelings. And we don't know the full scope. I mean, everybody could be guilty of something here, but at least based on what you've told me and the things that stand out as factors, none of them are really the good ones. So I would tell you, to move on because the the foundation of this relationship is not very good. I would, you know, whatever. I mean, you could tell people in your family, like whatever, you made a mistake. It's not the end of the world. People make mistakes, but don't move in with a woman that you don't mention once that you care about her here or have any guilt whatsoever. Like you don't have guilt that the husband found out or that the marriage is over. You have, and maybe they were doomed and it wasn't going to work out. So that kind of justified it for you in your head and people rationalize the decisions that they know they shouldn't make, but we can really get there if we want to, right? You're like, well, this, this, and this, but you know, she's got a seven and three-year-old and you're going to be moving in. You've got to step up and, and be a part of their life. And I'm not saying it means you have to guarantee you're never going to leave, but your, um, your entree into this, this family life world, like you're not going to be able to pull this off. You're just not. So don't mess with the kids. Don't mess up the kids here. All right, let's get to another one. Um, okay, uh, we'll leave names out because I just I'm going to leave names out unless people say, "Hey, use my name," because you just never know. Okay, guys, uh, was hoping to get some advice on a potential move. I'm a 25 year old born and raised in Northwest Ohio. Went to school at Miami University in Southwest Ohio and moved to Columbus, Ohio immediately after graduation. Whole family is here. Sister lives five minutes down the road. I'm single. I have a dog and countless friends here in Columbus in an overall very established young life with a solid job in an industry I don't care about. Uh, I've recently been offered a position to work in the golf industry, which I'd love for more money. Ooh, covering Metro Chicago and Milwaukee and would need to move there by the end of October. I know, I know quite a few people there in my age range from the start. And wouldn't have a problem getting to know more. My question is, what would you see as any cons of not accepting the position and making the move? I hesitate slightly because of the family and already established aspect of my Ohio life. I think hearing from Ryan and Bill, well, I could tell you Bill's probably not going to help out on this one, um, would help provide a bit of peace of mind, confidence in my choice, considering they've been in the position or uh, complete third parties of the situation. Okay, we get a lot of these. You get a lot of the weighing the future and career versus friends and comfort and all that kind of stuff. I'm a big, big move once guy. And then you can always come back. And then when you come back, if you did move, you're probably going to appreciate where you're at a little bit more. Uh, some people like being home. Some people love being around family. Some people prioritize friends over all of it. I will tell you as somebody that prioritized career over everything, and then behind that was career number two, and then people, uh, I miss my friends a lot. I mean, I make jokes about not having friends. I actually have tons of friends all over the country. And when I was moving out to Los Angeles, I actually thought about moving to Denver just because of friendship. I mean, that's not a lie. Like, that's how much I like Denver. That's how much I like the group that was there. And there was part of me that said, you have been grinding now from 25, 26 years. Well, let's say 26, uh, 25, definitely not grinding. But 26 till now, it's only been about that. And so if you have 
like your guys that are going to be your friends the rest of your lives. Like that's a pretty special thing. If you all get along, you all, I would kill to be able to have like three of my buddies from college in the same town and go, do you guys just want to come over and throw stuff? You know, I, again, I'm not breaking stuff, but you know what I mean? And so if you have that, especially if you get along with your family and the siblings, like that's really, that's real stuff. That's awesome. But a couple of things you point out here, you're getting offered a job in the golf industry during a pandemic and it's for more money and you get to cover Chicago and Milwaukee and not live in Columbus. That seems like a no brainer. Um, Columbus is definitely better. I think the first time I went there, 2008, um, I was there two years ago and it's definitely way better now. Columbus is better now. So if this were 10 years ago, email, I'd be like, what are you doing? But I will, uh, I will give a most improved to Columbus over some of the other cities that I've been to. But if you can start hanging out in Chicago and you said you already have friends there and you're only 25, I like the Chicago idea a lot, but there's clearly something that's, that's tying you to this. So this isn't really even about you. I think what you have to understand is it's, it's, it's not as simple as, Hey, what's more important to you. Okay. Because that part of it, but I like moving. I like moving to a better place. I like moving in an industry that you like. So with better job, better money, better city. And you already had friends there. Um, I think it's great that you love the family part of it and the Columbus side of this, but it's not like you're moving to New Zealand here. Okay. You're moving to the Chicago and Milwaukee area and your family's in Ohio. So yes, the day to day will be different, but I think you have to move. Isn't Columbus like the uh, test city for a bunch of food? Cause it's got like the most, uh, the best uh, uh, demographics is like what represents America. So like the Wendy's gets a whole bunch of different stuff. That's, that's the only thing I've heard about Columbus. Is that's well, they do their tests. it sounds like I got to Google something. Does Columbus have the best? I think like the uh, most the most representative demographics of of the country. I think is what I. That's just what Mark Titus told me. He could be full of shit. Um, that sounds so specific. It might be real. Yeah, like the Burger King. Like that's where they try their chicken fries first. So like you know you might be leaving that. That's the only thing I know. Um. Wait, how Columbus became America's test market? Although I this is written, it. but it's written by the Columbus Monthly mm. or Monthly Columbus, I believe. Funded by ClubTrillion.com. Yeah. No, Columbus Monthly. <laughs> okay. Columbus has been, has long been to a degree of notoriety, a haven for test marketing products. Um, isn't what's still driving companies. Yeah. Oh, so now it's become more sophisticated. I'm telling you, like when I went there recently for, um, I think I was there with Nissan in the in the Heisman House. Uh, I was I was pretty impressed because when I was there, you know, but the worst thing about all these college towns is is pre Uber and Lyft. Like if you stayed out after a game, oh dude, you you just were you calling the cab was, company that tells it's you just so minutes. hard yeah i mean it's impossible to get home so unfortunately like i think too many of our stanford steve mcshay rankings were based on how soon can we get the hell out of here um <laughs> but yeah it looks like that columbus theory not not a bad theory so i don't know maybe maybe if our guy moves the whole demographic will be thrown off okay please Rate and review and subscribe to the Ryan Russillo Podcast, the Ringer Podcast Network, and we will talk to you again. Uh, we're still trying to figure out how the schedule works because if I do a game four thing, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing for the rest of the week.
But uh, we got Matt Liner on talking college football, and then we're going to have our advice guy on, hopefully on the next episode. So it could be Wednesday or Thursday. All right, keep subscribing. Thanks, folks.